0: Hello! It's Kerry and Rachel! Rachel! What are you doing? You got all the good words. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to, to Dirty vegetables, vegetables, a podcast where we discuss hot topics in the vegan world,
0: exposing the dirt on animal industries and sharing our complete adoration for
1: vegetables! Vegetables! Vegetables. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dirty Vegetables. This episode is titled Cultural Carcass because it is all about culture when it comes to food choices. We're going to be covering topics such as the psychology behind our attitudes and beliefs around food choices, food choices when it comes to travel and special occasions. And finally, we'll be finishing off with narratives around food change it's a really awful title name i think
0: (laughs) but it's the reality of it isn't it cultural carcass i've sort of started to change my language a little bit and say things like flesh and carcass instead of you know meat or lovely
1: big animal (laughs) (laughs) i think i I quite enjoy the title because it's got the alliteration of the cc and um, mm. it it ultimately is just a carcass that we've attached a lot of culture to in many cases.
0: It is bizarre, like a big carcass just sitting in the middle of the table.
1: Merry Christmas! <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into it, how are you doing, Rachel? What's been happening this week? I'm doing good. I am now in the Dolomite Mountains um, in a spot which I think is the pinnacle of van life. Um, it's in this little town called Lambroy. And we were here exactly a year ago and we got to know kind of the community of people that live here. It's a tiny town, really remote, literally near the top of mountains. And there's only like eight families that live here. And we really feel like we got adopted by the community last year. We got to know everyone in the town. We went to people's houses for vegan dinner. It was just so special and it feels really nice to be back again and to be surrounded by such beautiful nature and the... Um, high altitude has the added bonus of the fact that it's a bit cooler as well, which I think we all need Mm. at the moment.
0: Amazing. Well, we had
1: one sunny day. How are you? We had one sunny day on Monday. It was really hot. It was like 28
0: degrees. And then we're back to, um, back to cloud and rain today. So (laughs) there's that. Mm. Um, I'm doing good. Uh, just packing up for Edinburgh. So that's like minor stress that I'm avoiding so I'm just not stressed I don't know if you do this or not but I just kind of live in this wee bubble and just don't let it enter my psyche (laughs) so (laughs) I should probably be more like worried about it but I'm just simply simply letting it go by Um, this weekend I'm going to Let's Go Hydro in Belfast, it's based this big massive water park on a lake
1: Wow! so I'm
0: very excited about that sort of a little going away soiree um but yeah doing good i'm excited and i've been cooking up some great things <laughs> i was talking last week about the mushroom linguine creamy mushroom linguine that i made from the oyster mushrooms and it was delightful that's on our website now uh along on with
1: on our instagram Check it out. Very nice. (laughs) I'm excited. I'm excited to try that um, mushroom linguine. Anything with mushrooms in it, I just get so excited for. So I think that sounds like a good one. And linguine is probably my favorite out of the pasta shapes. (laughs) Also, I'm very sad that I'm not coming to this hydro thing because that sounds like so much fun. I've always wanted to go to like a massive water park. Is it kind of like the one that like an obstacle course, like those TV shows where people are like, having to jump over things and they fall into the water. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I I expect, I actually don't really know that much. I know there's like a big jump that you
0: jump into the water from and climbing apparatus, but I don't know if it's actually like an obstacle course, I assume so. Mm. I'll let you know. Sounds good. I'll let you know. Aww. Okay, so every week we do a dirty ingredient and this week's dirty ingredient is Aquafaba. Do you know what it is? Do you know how to use it? We're about to tell y'all. <laughs> Aquafaba aka chickpea brine. Um, okay, is... can I just stop you there first? Mm-hmm. Brine is such an awful word. You used this That's... in the last podcast. It's you exactly said brine. What it,
1: is. That's exactly what it is. Chickpea water.
0: Chickpea water.
1: Is brine okay. not salted water? Yeah, but it's also just kind of like any sort of kind of liquid that's being used to preserve things that isn't directly anything. So it's not an oil. It's not like a water. It's not. It's a brine. I don't know. So instead of using brine, I'll say aquafaba, a.k.a. chickpea water. Nice. Is the viscous uh, (laughs) liquid that you'll find in your cans and jars of chickpeas and this is a revolutionary discovery by Yol Rosell in 2014 that when you whisk this water it resembles egg whites and this is because it's got a really high protein concentration from the chickpeas so this is an amazing egg substitute and can be used in things like vegan meringue, mayonnaise, the white foam on your cocktails. I feel like there's another good use for it. Mousse and mousse. (laughs) And the word aquafaba literally translates in Latin to aqua water faba bean. But the way that I use it is I make this dip for pizza crust. I think we've discussed this before, Kerry, that I am such an advocate for dips for your crust for pizza to the point that I am very disappointed if I'm eating a pizza and there's not a crust available and that used to be the case for me when I turned vegan because you would get these garlic and herb dips that were not vegan they were full of dairy um so I started making my own when I was getting takeaway and you can blend up aquafaba with a neutral oil and it makes a mayonnaise within like seconds it's insane and then you can add garlic to it herbs and make your own garlic and herb dip for your pizza crusts game changer so, well, first of all, the mayo dip sounds unreal. I
0: I don't really eat crusts of a pizza. Sometimes I do, but not always. Like if they're really hard, I can't be bothered with that. Can't be bothered with it. Um, but yeah, I actually have never used aquafaba. Now, one of my friends, Rhiannon, you she made meringues from it. She she said it took ages to whisk. <laughs> but they came out pretty good. I the thing is I don't like meringue, so you know I can't really judge that people are very judgmental when I say that Yeah, (laughs) I just don't I don't get it, it's just like sugar it just tastes like sugar but um, yeah I've never properly used aquafaba although I have had cocktails with it in it cocktails I think is the best shout because you often don't realise that there's a sneaky wee egg white in there so make sure you ask if you don't know which ones contain egg white because sometimes they don't put it on the menu don't think but yeah, I would like to. I would like to use it, so I will try.
1: Yeah, I think it's really good in desserts, like you say, meringue and like mousse or cakes or and just anywhere where you think you need to use an egg for the binding properties. I think aquafaba can just slot right in there and veganize it. It's one of my favourite kind of vegan discoveries because it makes me think that if we um, have realised that aquafaba can almost identically mimic egg white then what other things are there out there that we can use mm. I was literally just thinking that like that was only discovered in 2014 yeah that's so recent like what else is there it's just an ex- exciting future for veganism I think
0: like one time I made brownies out of black beans and I just like who you ever thought of that and how many things have we not thought of millions yeah absolutely the vegans are incoming <laughs>
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: You're attacking.
1: Moving on to our first point, which is the psychology behind cultural beliefs and attitudes relating to food. And we'll start this off with faith, because I think faith is a major factor in a lot of people's food choices. Their religious interpretation of certain animals really determine whether or not they'll eat them. So it's deeper than mere Taste or preference is actually there's a whole body of belief around a lot of food. And just to list some examples here, for example, Jews and Muslims don't eat pork, Hindus won't eat beef. Do you know why that is that Hindus don't eat beef? Well, cows are like a treasured
0: animal in like Indian stuff. They really regard it as like a cows are
1: like a holy animal in India. Yeah. So that's what I thought, but um I just wanted to make sure. And Buddhists are vegetarian and Jains um, are strictly vegan to the point that they won't even eat root vegetables due to the damage it does to the plants. And also Rastas, Rastafarians, they eat a natural diet free from additives, chemicals and most meat. Uh, The style of primarily vegan eating is known as idle cooking. Let me know if I'm saying that right. Rastas commonly say, aytil is vital, pointing to how the diet got its name. So the point I'm making here is that our faith, or what religious body that we might identify with, really determines the food choices that we make, and these kind of principles get passed down through generations and generations and generations, and then become normalised by the people that follow these principles and determine what they're making for dinner each night.
0: Yeah, just like, just to go back on the Jainism. So it's quite funny because the girl that kind of introduced me to veganism was called Jain. And then she found out that Jainism was this like vegan religion. I was like, oh, the stars have aligned. <laughs> but um, so actually the Jains, I was looking into this and a lot of Jains, they, they would drink milk and eat cheese and stuff like that. So they'd eat dairy, but and they would take the milk only once the young calves had like weaned off it so they wouldn't be stealing the milk away from the calves and stuff so it wasn't as bad as like industrial farming and they would only drink milk that's really close but you know now milk is like mass produced so you just don't know where it's coming from and also there's i have learned recently the christian orthodox there's a lot of those in like eritrea so for i think it's like um 200 days a year they don't they go vegan so over lent they don't they don't eat any animal products and before Christmas and there's a few other days a lot of them eat vegan on Wednesdays and Fridays so like every week they'll eat a little bit vegan so I think that's it's quite amazing that there is quite a lot of restrictions around this in the world you know and it would be interesting to see if any of those people think differently about other animals you know if they're not eating pigs or they're not eating cows what do they think about the rest of it? And I've also th- found it quite interesting that a lot of, you know, in Northern Ireland, you know, the, the major religion would be Christianity. And I've always wondered why Like I haven't met any really religious vegans, <laughs> you know? And I think for me, when I'm thinking about Christianity, you know, God made all the animals on the earth. So I find it hard to understand the disrespect for animals. Um, and this is something I'd really like like
1: to talk about more, like specifically religion and animals in a future episode. Yeah, I, I think that that bafflement with Christianity is something that definitely baffles me too. If they're holding themselves to such uh, high moral regard, then why is it that they're totally disregarding animals and the animal industry and yeah kind of this like notion of the garden of eden where um, it all started why is it that adam and eve were so much more important than the oasis of animals and plants around them arguably if they all came at the same time they're all of equal importance so yeah i think a religious episode would be good to kind of debunk some of this or um look into religion more and how it relates to veganism Yeah, if there's any religious people here listening, Christians or any religion,
0: I'd love to hear from you and see what your take on it is, whether you're vegan or not. You know, what do you think it relates to the Bible or the Quran or any scriptures that you follow? Um, Because I'd like to even look into, I mean, the Bible is the thing that we have probably grown up with the most, learning about the most. So is there anything in the Bible about animals? Like, I actually remember asking this in RE class when I was in school, like, long before vegan, I even knew what veganism was. And I remember asking the teacher, like, what does it say to animals? What does it say about animals? And actually, I'm sure you're, well, I know you're the same, Rachel. Um, I often get stopped by people from the Church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. So, like, the Mormons. I don't think they like that term. But I, I've got, like, quite a lot of people that I know who are, from that church and i've asked them the question before you know what about animals and one of the guys just completely avoided the question like literally just changed the subject you know it was really really weird and he was talking about i think he started talking about like barbecuing or like mcdonald's or something that was really meat-based and i said oh well actually i'm vegan so you know what does your scripture say about that and he just curveball. (laughs) So I'd like to open that conversation a bit more with people who are religious and I know I know quite a lot of Christians so maybe I could open that question up a little bit.
1: Yeah you could get one on. Yeah. (laughs) And ultimately could it be that turning vegan is actually going to enhance your faith and deepen your connection to God and everyone's got their own interpretation of God. Some people think the universe, great spirit, soul consciousness or a religious figure that they worship but yeah could being vegan deepen our connection to god and i know that in our spirituality episode we spoke about this and how some people argue that it's almost it's almost like a necessary step towards spiritual enlightenment to abstain from harming animals and could it be that the other religions ultimately may follow suit do we have to follow the same religious scriptures to the latter or can we adapt and change with the times and realize that the way that the industry is nowadays is nothing like how it would have been when these scriptures were originally created so having meat purely for sustenance because it wasn't possible to grow vegetables all year round isn't a problem nowadays like it was then. So maybe where there was a necessity to eat meat then, so it wasn't a possibility mm-hmm. to abstain from it, it's not a necessar- necessity now and perhaps being vegan in modern times can deepen our connection to God. Yeah, so it's like ahimsa, the the principle of non-violence, which
0: is practiced by a lot of Jains and Hindus and Buddhists. Um, and that's non-violence towards anything. So, yeah, I think absolutely. There's that's what most religions are actually based on. Like that's a big part of it.
1: Moving on to our next point, which is labeling animals. So I read this um, piece of research, which was I found very interesting, and it was that the British anthropologist Edmund Leach described how humans make categories of things in order to create social logic. So although the animal species around us form a continuum of which we homo sapiens are a part of, we name, categorise, and then treat those animals differently according to separate logic that applies to each category. So basically, instead of seeing us all as equal, all as animals, we actually label some animals livestock, some animals wild animals, Mm -hmm. some animals pets, and then us, humans, we've made these social categories which are quite arbitrary and because of this there's lots of taboos around food, so in many cultures they won't eat dog because it's been put into a a separate category, it's been put into pet, and we have these social connections with our pets and we share memories with them and we we, um, grieve when they die, but in other cultures they eat dog and that becomes this big taboo Um, whereas we don't have the same connection to cows or pigs even though it's known that pigs at least have the same intelligence as dogs but I've heard I heard in one place that they're even more intelligent than dogs but we've made these arbitrary categories so they're not actually based on fact it's not that some animals are superior to others or some animals are far more intelligent than others or some animals are more sentient than others it's that we've made these labels and then marketing companies uh, further enhance those labels and then we've got to a position where we've kind of completely disconnected the notion of dead animal and meat and it's kind of like live stock aren't really animals not the way that other animals are and they don't suffer the way other animals may be able to yeah i hate that
0: disassociation with other animals that we have with like dogs so even, even with things like, let's say, chicken, which we talked about in another episode, you know, they people in China, for example, will eat chicken feet and people in the UK will be like, oh, that's disgusting. And I'm like, why, why? Or you'll see in a lot of different countries, they'll eat bugs and cockroaches and stuff. And that's, oh my God, that's insane. Which is absolutely no different. I think that comes down to speciesism. You know, if you're speciesist, 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 you know you think of all animals as different, different levels of the hierarchy, essentially. Whereas a vegan mindset would
1: be we're all on the
0: same level. Another
1: layer to the labeling Um, that we have around our food and culture or surrounding food is special occasions and which animals we deem appropriate to eat at different occasions. And I think a big loser in this is often the, the turkey. Like, turkey is another animal that maybe we'll do a separate episode on because they've been genetically modified to oblivion. It's absolutely horrific the level we've got to with turkeys um, and how much they suffer in the industry. And it's because we have decided that it's appropriate to eat them at Thanksgiving, if you're American, but globally at Christmas. And a huge part of Eastern Europe is meat it's really linked to kind of toxic masculinity and men aren't men unless they eat meat and the men like at any sort of social occasion the men will barbecue copious amounts of meat and it's kind of like this watering hole situation where all the men gather around with their beers and cigarettes and they're barbecuing and and then it's all put on the table and it's kind of like this big, big display of Mm, success if there's like a huge banquet of meat on the table and yeah it's 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 a huge part of the culture i think this ties into kind of like a psychological principle which is that we've attached a lot of reward to meat um we've labeled meat as a treat and there's been studies um and again anything that we mention in the podcast we'll put in the show notes but there's been studies where children um when they're left with some food they're far more likely to eat it faster if it's been deemed as some sort of reward, um, a treat that they get to eat. And also, um, even so much as like people being seen smiling when they're eating certain foods, we're more likely to crave them. And I think that's a thing that marketing has really like sucked up on. Like People are smiling, but biting into their Burger King double Whopper. <laughs> so I, I think... It's just seen as a reward, um, it's seen as a treat, and it's seen as something that we do on special occasions. And these kind of factors form this like self-fulfilling prophecy where we continue to eat meat consumption and continue to eat it because it's what we've done, there's nostalgia. So yeah, this concept of nostalgia and treat and reward when it comes to food is something that Jonathan Saffron Foer speaks about in his book Eating Animals Should We Stop? Um, He talks about how he has so many memories of turkey burgers um, at barbecues in the summer with his family and how his grandma only ever made one dish and it was chicken and carrots. And because of the kind of like juvenile memories associated to it, he's always remembered it as like the most delicious food ever because he would always eat it when he went to visit his grandma. But ultimately, through his exploration of the meat industry and realising that he no longer wants to endorse it and feed that diet to his son, he kind of concludes the book with, it was either Thanksgiving or Christmas, where he hosted everyone at his house and he made a fully veggie meal for everyone. And he kind of makes the point that, although we've got this nostalgia and importance associated with certain foods at these special occasions, the most important reason that we have these occasions is to bring loved ones together and to connect with your family and spend time with your family. Um, And it's not that important if we continue to eat the same thing over and over again. And I fully agree with that concept. And I've actually made some incredible festive vegan meals for Christmas time that I've enjoyed far more than the overcooked turkey. Do you have any like Christmas vegan recipes that you would recommend? Um, So I have made a few things over the past few years. Uh, First of all, I completely
0: understand where he's coming from. You know, it was Christmas was one of the hardest things because it's just such like a ritual that you do all of the Christmas things. You cook all of the Christmas foods. And that was something I found a big challenge because everyone else was eating the same thing and you were kind of the odd one out. And the first Christmas I did, I remember getting this Tofurky thing. It was basically like tofu trying to imitate turkey and it just did not live up to my joy of a Christmas dinner like it really didn't I remember my dad actually tasted a bit of it he was like can I try it and I was like yeah and he tried it and like my dad is super supportive he's never been like don't be vegan he's really just open to it and he actually like sped it out <laughs> it's like all right, bit dramatic, daddy, like a wee bit dramatic, but like it, it just, it didn't, it didn't hit the same. And I, I remember feeling quite deflated after that because I was like, was this what I'm going to have to have every year? But actually in the restaurant I used to work at, they made a nut roast and it was absolutely unreal. And I, I tried to make it myself and it was good, but it, it wasn't as good um but the way they made it was so unreal and I asked him for the recipe and typical chef was like well I do the same thing was like oh I didn't write it down I just kind of made it up I was like all right so he kind of told me how to make it and stuff but it, it just wasn't quite as good but I've had some really good like nut roasts and some of the fake like vegan things are really good at the minute as well for different meats that I've tried but what's really helped me out is now my sister's vegetarian which she wasn't a few years ago and she's recently turned vegetarian and that just makes it so much better because like we're both on the same boat, we're both eating the same thing so I feel like less left out okay. I guess
1: What about you? Have you got any specific recipes? Um, there is this thing that Gaz does <laughs> I always mention Gaz and then I laugh because I mention Gaz <laughs> but <laughs> I've actually got his Christmas
0: book, his Christmas cooking book. I made a nut roast out of that, but
1: I put way too much orange peel in it. So that was too orangey. a wee note on the bottom there, one <laughs> bit over the top. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, he. I watched this video of his that I really wanted to make. Um, and I'm going to use the word brine here. So it's a nice little segue of brine. <laughs> but yes. he makes this brine that he like puts like thin pieces of carrot in. And then it creates this kind of like um, smoked salmon because that's something that I used to really enjoy at Christmas time. We would always have kind of like a starter of various types of kind of fish. It would be like smoked salmon platter and smoked salmon mousse and all sorts of things like this. And we'd have like bagels and cream cheese and lemon and black pepper. And I've absolutely loved it. Absolutely. Um, and I noticed he did this video last year and I was meaning to do it, but I hadn't got around to it. So I definitely am going to do it this year. Um, and he kind of just makes this, he has this mason jar and then he puts in it like hot water, nori sheet and then a bunch of different spices and then these pieces of carrot. And then the hot water kind of partially cooks the carrot and preserves it. And then he puts it in the fridge and it can last for ages. It's almost like a pickle. And then you can put it on whatever you would normally do, your smoked salmon. So that's something that I definitely want to try. And last year, my I had Christmas at my family's house Um, and my mum bought for us this kind of like vegan beef Wellington from Marks and Spencer's and it was banging.
0: I think I had the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. It was so good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I was impressed. I had that last year. I had that and like a nut roast. I just bought them because I went through the whole faff the year before of making my own and my mum was complaining that the house smelled like garlic and that's not the smell of Christmas. I know, right? (laughs) But like <laughs> my mom, he my whole family hates, hates garlic, so I just just gonna have to disown them. But um, yeah, I remember it was that was really good. I, I enjoyed that. I'd say definitely Marksey's range is good for that stuff. Very good for it.
1: The next point that we're gonna move on to is travel and uh national dishes and how these are primarily not vegan i think a lot of people when they travel um they think that they can't visit a country without eating these dishes so they can imagine going to the uk and not trying fish and chips or they couldn't imagine going to mexico and not having some sort of taco which is definitely gonna have meat and cheese in it um can't go to italy without pizza can't go to Eastern Europe without barbecued meat so like there's all these associations that we make especially around travel but I am of the believer that you can make new associations with countries like for me now Amsterdam I firmly think of vegan junk food bar my favorite vegan restaurant of all time and I tried it there for the first time that's where it originated so that's the food that I think about when I go to that place and also all these national dishes can be veganized um, you could visit france and have a vegan croissant and you can guarantee that it's probably going to be the best vegan croissant you're ever going to have if they're famous for their pastry and you can go to italy and have a vegan pizza but specific- specifically with like national identity i think that there's from my personal experience because my boyfriend's family are eastern european I think there was some there was some offence at the beginning because Octavian's mum over the years would always make certain dishes that Octavian really liked, and there would be Moldovan dishes, and they would eat them whenever he visited. Um, one example of this is shuba, which is this like layered salad. <laughs> it's it's actually nice. Like I ended up quite enjoying it in the end, but it's unlike anything I've ever eaten in my life. It's kind of like it starts with like a layer of like pickled fish and then it has multiple different types of vegetable boiled vegetable like beetroot carrot potato and then it's got like onions and then it's topped off with grated egg yolk and in between each layer is like huge amounts of mayonnaise and then mayonnaise is then wrapped along the top and the sides of the shuba and then it's like it's just it's unlike anything I've tried before in my life and Octavian used to love right. it ever since he was a child so when we were starting to transition to veganism his mum would still be making this shuba, kind of thinking that we would make like a ex- exception and eat it and I think a lot of the time Octavian felt bad and he did eat it but then it got to the point that he really didn't want to eat it anymore and his mum would be offended but a way that we really were able to kind of curb this issue was I found this blog called the Slavic Vegan and she had had a um, vegan uh, version of it so then we made this vegan version together and instead of the pickled fish, it was like I peeled aubergine, cut it into pieces and then boiled it in a brine. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Was, like, Water with like vinegar and spices and stuff and like you boil it and then you leave it and then it is really ingenious i don't know how she came up with this and then once it's like finished and you've let it cool for a while it's got the same texture and taste as these pieces of like cured white fish that used to be in the shuba. and then you just use a vegan mayonnaise instead of the egg i can't remember what we did but ultimately it was a success and it was a lot of fun and i think it made his mum realize that you can kind of get with the times and we can recreate dishes in a vegan way that can become family moments and you can veganize national dishes and it doesn't take away the value from them yeah for sure i remember rachel um you might be annoyed at me telling
0: the the viewers this the listeners but i remember when we were like just just dabbling in veganism i remember you said yeah you know like I'm going vegan, but when we go on holidays, like we want to eat all the national dishes and we're going to eat them all. So you like, that's our we treat <laughs> when we go away traveling, you know, like I want
1: to eat the sausages in Germany and stuff like that. I remember you saying that. I know. How, how far you've come. Yeah, I did say that. I think I was influenced by my other friends that are Portuguese and highly vegan. They've got two young children who they're raising completely vegan, which I think is so cool. And they that was the only time they would eat meat And I I think I was just like, I just, I'm so influenced by the people around me. So I thought like, oh, right, I I get that logic, I'll do the same, (laughs) but I've totally changed my mind now. Yeah. I know
0: I'm totally influenced by the people around me as well, but I think once you make that complete switch, it just, that becomes irrelevant. Something like that. But I think, yeah, it is, it's hard to go traveling and avoid the national things. Although I remember when I was in Hamburg, like they actually had loads of vegan things. Um, They had like vegan sausages and they had these like garlic potato things that were covered in like a creamy sauce. But they had like a vegan version as well, which is really good because sometimes even the same like stalls will do a vegan version. I think we're really progressing Actually, do you remember like last year I made all those dishes from different countries on my Instagram? I made like I went around the world. It was during lockdown. Yes. No one had anything to do. And I was like, what could I do that would like interest me? And I went around different countries and looked at their national dishes and veganized them. That's something I'd really like to do again, actually. But I looked at really random, like sort of I looked at countries that you probably wouldn't travel to, you know, countries that get a bit of a bad rep and looked at how they have such cultural significance with their foods and stuff and just making that vegan but there's there's some really good like you were saying slavic vegan there's another girl called the korean vegan which does korean food and she is amazing she's got an amazing cookbook out um and i've also came across the arab vegan as well so I think I got some of the recipes from there, and they she does amazing, I think it's a girl. <laughs> I'm assuming, I think it's a girl. I think she said that in her blog. But she does amazing recipes that, again, veganize in that sort of culture. So I guess with any country, there's probably a way
1: to veganize whatever your cultural dish is. The final point that we're gonna move on to is that food narratives change. So it's been proven that we're highly influenced by our culture and our immediate environment in terms of our consumption tendencies, the food that we most likely eat. Um, And depending on what epoch we're kind of in and what kind of like influences that there are at that current time, this can highly change the sorts of foods people are eating. And I think that a really valuable thing that's going on at the moment is that veganism is kind of becoming trendy. And there's lots of celebrity vegans out there that are kind of endorsing this lifestyle. So although people from previous generations um, think that veganism is this crazy, ludicrous thing that's never going to happen and what are you going to eat and what about protein and B12? It's actually something that is happening now and potentially will continue to happen in the future because culture changes and influences change. But I want to start this off by labeling some famous vegans that you might not know, celebrity vegans. So we've got Leonardo DiCaprio. He's a big one because he's like a massive vegan advocate and environmental advocate. I didn't he's know that. He's been involved in like the documentary Cowspiracy. I didn't know hmm. that.
0: I do not know. know Leo
1: was a celeb vague. Yeah, and he was like involved in that new film on Netflix, Don't Look Up, which is all about environment. Also, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, which I personally absolutely adore that name. He narrates Earthlings, which is one of the most dark and revealing documentaries out there in terms of what happens in slaughterhouses and what happens on farms. I've not watched it, I'm too scared. Yeah, but I'm I'm listening to that to um, Ed Winter's book on Audible, and it's made both me and Octavian cry whilst driving because it's so sad. Right, well, I'm reading it, so it's probably less pungent. <laughs> That's not the right word. It's probably less emotive via eyeball. Than Maybe, here. but then again, I, I cried at, eat- at, at reading Eating Animals as mm. well. I don't know. I haven't cried yet, but I'll let you know if I do. But I cry in general. (laughs) Okay, so then, a few more celebrity vegans. We've got Zac Efron, Benedict Cumberbatch, Beyonce, Ellie Goulding, Natalie Portman, Madonna, Venus Williams and Serena Williams, who are at the pinnacle of athletic performance in terms of tennis. So that just goes to show that veganism is not lacking in nutrients and protein, thank you very much and ariana grande miley cyrus hold on hold on
0: miley cyrus is famously not vegan anymore because oh did you not hear about this she basically said that her brain was starting to not work because she wasn't eating fish um so she started eating fish again and then there was a whole uproar from the vegan community, which I think is really quite unfair. I don't like when the vegan community like fights back at people for changing their mind or doing whatever they think is right. But a lot of people said, you know, oh, it's the drugs that's wrecking your brain, not the fish, but who? like I think that's really, really unfair. But she was vegan for a very long time, and I think that's why people got annoyed about it because they knew that or they really looked up to her as a celebrity vegan. And then suddenly, it was like, oh,
1: Mm. I didn't know that. That's that's good that you do know that because I would have said something very false otherwise. Um, and a couple more. Liam Hemsworth, Ellen Page and Stevie Wonder. So these are like huge celebrities that I think people have a lot of respect for and I think that they're, this is a really positive and influential thing actually that so many massive big name celebrities are becoming vegan. Um, Because it shows that food narratives can change, culture is malleable, and we can get with the times, basically. We are adaptive. We learn and grow and change based on information and stimulus and everything else. And this kind of, like, topic of celebrities and media coverage was covered in um, some research by Lundahl in 2017. And I just want to read out a little part from her discussion. She says... On the one hand, the media continues to marginalise ethical, political veganism, but on the other, it promotes the new fashionable trend of the plant-based diet for aesthetic and health reasons. In particular, the the thesis has argued that the media has cut veganism from its previously radical roots. This works as a way to hinder real change, the ultimate goal of which would be the end of exploitation of animals. She's making an interesting point there where we need to tread carefully because the media hasn't necessarily jumped on the bandwagon for veganism for all the best reasons because consumerism is still there and the ethical considerations around veganism aren't necessarily being displayed. Instead, they're only really looking at it from the shiny perspective of healthy living and aesthetics. And they're using kind of the imagery of celebrity vegans to enforce this rather than enforce this is reasons that we should stop eating animal products because of the environment, because of human rights, because of animal exploitation, etc, etc. So it would mean that veganism could just be a fad, a fad diet that could run out so it'd be interesting to see what our perspectives are on that do we think that this rise in veganism is just a fad in the current epoch or do we think it's going to last i mean i definitely don't think it's a fad but what i do think it is
0: is that it, it may draw people in as sort of a trend you know I think a lot of people maybe hop on the vegan bandwagon from the word go as part of the trend but the thing is once you start going down that rabbit hole it's really hard to climb back up it because you'll start tasting new things as part of the fad and then you'll realize oh actually almond milk is better and then you'll maybe look into what's wrong with normal milk not even normal milk cow's milk I I don't like when I say normal something Mm -hmm. you know what I mean Anyway you know what's wrong with cow's milk and then once that's in your head it's really hard to get it out so even if it is a fad and celebrities are just luring people in with the aesthetic of it all I still think it'll grip people and hold them in that vegan bubble And even for me, when I was sort of at the very beginning, I don't think I ever went into it as a fad because I really cared about it. You know, even before I'd went vegan, I was thinking about it a lot. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, I want to look cool and vegan. If anything, it was the opposite for me. I was like, oh, is this a bit embarrassing saying I'm vegan? You know, I was like worried about saying to people, oh, I'm vegan because they'd be like, oh, you're vegan. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So if anything, it was actually the opposite for me. Yeah, and... I also think, and the Financial Times did a a piece on this as well, where they think that the the health connotations with veganism are actually the reasons why it will stick around and not be a fad, because like post-COVID life, people have become more aware and conscious of their health and conscious of potential future pandemics, and this pandemic was created through animal exploitation like the coronavirus is a bat-prone virus whether that was created in a lab or from a street market we don't know but it isn't as a a result of animal, animal exploitation and i think this is on people's kind of awareness now going forward that if a vegan diet is healthy for us it's better for us and it's steering us away from animal exploitation which can lead to tropic diseases then I think they're going to continue. And it's kind of like a whole new narrative around food instead of just eating things because they want to, like because they like the taste or because it's what they've always had. It's this kind of shift in mindset towards, I want to be as healthy as possible because this pandemic was really scary and we don't want it to happen again. And from a personal perspective, uh, I had the same experience when I first started going vegan. It wasn't necessarily the cool thing to do. And I did feel a bit cringe about it. I didn't like being the only vegan at the table at dinner and the awkward conversations with family and stuff like that. I think it's great that it's become more cool now, but I definitely didn't approach it from a fad perspective. And I think the majority of people that go as far as to make these changes do have long term uh, notions in mind and realise that this cuts way deeper than doing something that looks cool. Well said. So in this episode, we have talked about the psychology
0: behind cultural beliefs and attitudes relating to food. We've talked a little bit about labeling animals in different ways and how we label things as a treat. And then finally, we've talked about food and special occasions and when we're traveling and how food narratives can change and a little bit about celebrities impact on this. So coming back to the main question which is is veganism taking the cultural significance out of food um what do you think
1: rachel as your
0: conclusion to this episode
1: i would say i would say essentially no veganism isn't taking the cultural significance out of food i think we need to get with the times we wouldn't have gotten to where we are today if, as a human race without the ability to evolve and adapt. And one of the most powerful expressions of this adaption is through the food that we eat and the products that we buy. So next time you're travelling, next time you're in a country where a certain national dish is famous, like for example croissants in France, I think you should try the vegan version and be mind blown by how incredible the vegan version is (laughs) and next time there's a family member that's offended because you don't want to eat their dish that they've always made for you you can have a fun time together veganizing it and ultimately these changes um, have far greater um, impact for the future generations to come if we want to have a hospitable earth for our children and grandchildren to live on we need to change culture needs to change Consumption needs to change and then we can all live in harmony happily ever after. (laughs) What about you? Yeah,
0: similar to you, I think it absolutely is not taking the cultural significance out of food. I think, you know, we have become a lot more creative with food and I think this is one of the ways that you can do it. Having flesh and carcass at the dinner table at different events like Christmas and Easter, etc., You know, this is really a habit. I think it's really about thinking, why do you miss those food? And it's just, it's an habitual thing that we're just so used to. And you can make new habits. I think that's the thing about veganism. That is what it's all about, is just making new habits and changing little parts. And changing your cultural celebrations is a really hard one to do. But you can definitely get there. And it's something that can be quite exciting, coming up with new recipes and trying different things out. And there's loads of different recipes online and Christmas books. Like I've got Gaz's Christmas one. So absolutely it does not have to take the cultural significance out of it. It's just about changing those habits. And once you do it, like one year you do it and then everyone just knows that that's how how it is. Hopefully (laughs) that's it. my experience anyway. Amazing. So thank you everyone so much for listening today. Um, we'd love to know what you think about your cultural celebrations how it's changed for you going vegan or if you're taking the plunge of veganism what if you have any worries about it or different things that you'd like to make and of course you can join us on our instagram at Vegetables with a z or you can email us at dirtyvegetables at gmail.com or visit our website www.dirtyvegetables.com .com
1: Thank you very much guys and we'll speak to you next time. Bye. Bye.